Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Stuff Your Ears. We are a podcast of Bismarck Community Church, and here we will give you conversations, discussions, as well as sermons and thoughts and ruminations that all are aimed at helping us to live, or at the very least, to understand what it means to live as a faithful Christian in a world that's often not quite what we wish it were. Glad you tuned in. I hope you enjoy. And as always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. All right, we're talking about John chapter 3 today. That's where we came in our, in our Lenten devotional pops up and comes to John chapter 3. That's what was in our reading. Verses uh, 1 through 17 is what I'm going to be looking at. Let me just read it a little bit, and then I'll try to draw a few things out. Now, there was a man of the Pharisee. Okay, hold on. Let me just pause. Let me put that on pause for a minute. The Pharisees, they they are this religious group of people that we would call today self-righteous, arrogant jerks. Um, They are the people, some of you know people like this, I'm betting, uh, who are sure that they're doing everything right, and that they, they're following all the right rules, and that they're the only ones who are following all the right rules, and they need to tell everybody else about the rules that they should be following. That is who the Pharisees are. And they're kind of upset with Jesus. They, they've not, they don't have a really great relationship. In fact, there's a group of Pharisees that will ultimately help move toward his, his death. So there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night again, an important little detail. Uh, he is curious about some things and he wants to investigate what Jesus has to say, but he kind of doesn't want his friends to know. <laughs> maybe, maybe you've been in that boat. You're curious about listening to some other viewpoints, but you don't want to. You don't want to let your friends know. That's where he's feeling, and he says to him, Rabbi, which just means teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's an important word, and it will become more important. Do. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, uh, which is ancient Greek, is, it says amen, amen, or uh, amen, amen. And what in the South, I, whenever I see this in the New Testament, Jesus says it often, I think, look at here now, because that's, that's what we say. Look at here now. That's what that means. Jesus answered him, look at here now, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, there it is again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
Um, that refers to a story that pops up in, no, in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament where the serpents, the people, and you'll, you'll see stories like this, the people, God's people were messing up, and, God, and, and these serpents come and they bite them, and God says to Moses, anybody that, if you take one of the serpents, put it on a pole, hold it up, that's what it says. Anybody that looks at the serpent on the pole will be healed from their snake bite, and that's what happened. And so Jesus is using this reference and saying, the Son of Man will also be lifted up, so anyone who looks at him will be saved from their poison. That's the reference, that's what's being implied. So the Son of Man must be also be lifted up as the serpent in the wilderness, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, this is the football verse, this is the one that we hold on poster boards at football games to get on the TV, John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is important, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Let me pray for us. God, would you just, by your spirit, work among us, in us, and through us, by your word. It's in your name. Amen. A couple things. The first one, and this is a big one, in fact, I think this is probably the biggest point that I'd like to make here, and it's one that I think we struggle with, <laughs> God loves the world. Um, he loves, the, the, the world there is the, is the word cosmos, it's where we get cosmos, um, it, it's all of creation, Okay, God loves all of creation so much that he sent his son. Now, last week I kind of drew out this connection. I pointed us back to Genesis chapter 3, and I talked about how we tend to um, think when we talk about the world. We say, well, the world is broken. We sang it. Do you feel the world is broken? You're darn right I do. And, and we, um, we looked at how it's, not, it's us that's broken. We are the ones that are broken, and we are the ones that broke the world. But the world, it says in Genesis 3, cursed, God says to the ground, cursed are you, the ground, because of humanity's, our decision to say, you know what, God, no thanks. We'll do it our way. And that, we've been doing it ever since. You know, I'm not blaming Adam and Eve for everything, because we all bear that responsibility. I remember once my sister said, uh, Somebody got mad and was like, oh, I don't know why Eve ate the fruit or whatever. And she's like, if Eve hadn't done it, her daughter would have, right? I mean, that's just, that's humanity. That's what we would do. And I'm not blaming Eve either because Adam was right there, okay? Ladies, I'm not picking. Anyway, the ground is cursed. And yet, yet God loves it. And he's, he's looking to redeem it. I think that's so important that we hear that. We often live out of our pain, we live out of our experience, we live out of the, the woundedness that exists, and we interpret from that. I was talking to somebody recently who was, who was basically saying that something, and it, it, it's, it, it's not important, something I had said up here um, referred to something or whatever, and it, I think their language was felt a wash of shame sort of wash over me, and I, I get that, I know that, and I, and, it, and I understand how it works, and, and, it, it, and, it, and I hate it. I mean, you know, it's hard for me to talk about anything, you know, but that is not the voice of God. Because look, it said, 
he does not come to condemn the world. That's not the point. He's not here to condemn, but to save. When, when we feel that and something is referenced, a truth or, or a, a principle or a, a reality of, of our existence, and we feel that like, oh, that is the voice of our parents, maybe, or their failures, or, or, or the voice of teachers, in our past, maybe, who told us, you'll never amount to anything, or, or, or it may be the voice of preachers. God knows many of us are excellent at guilting and shaming people into obedience. I've seen it, and I've experienced it. It could be the voice of preachers, or Sunday school teachers, or all, I mean, th- this is, we are far better, all of us, whatever we believe. We are all far more skilled at using shame and guilt to motivate than we are at believing in grace. And so when you feel that voice and you hear, you hear that voice, you feel that feeling of that shame or that I don't measure up, that could be a thousand other voices and it's probably one of those voices is the voice of the devil. But it is absolutely not the voice of God, because God did not send his son to condemn the world. That's not it at all. He sent it to save the world. To me, that is incredibly hopeful, but it takes a lot of believing in order to come to believe that reality. There's another thing that comes up, and it's when Nicodemus uses this word, do. I think it's fascinating, Nicodemus, twice. He's like, we, you, you do these things, and no one can do these things unless God is with them. And it's all about, Nicodemus is looking at what is being done, what is coming out. He's looking at the externals, the results, the efficiencies, right, the performance. That's, that's what he focuses on is the performance and i think man that's kind of the trap we get we get caught in we do the same thing we look i mean some of the biggest things we argue about is what is being done watch the news talking about politics because that's all they ever talk about on the news these days and and it's always what these people are doing or what those people are doing or what they want to do or what they wish they'd do or do, 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 and it's all do, do. Yeah, I said it. It's all about what's out there, what's coming out. And Nicodemus is focused on that, and I think humanity is focused on what can we do. As a matter of fact, I think when we, when you think about that, that feeling of condemnation, you know, the shame that, that we feel, how do we generally escape that? We do something, don't we? Maybe, depends on our wiring, maybe we, uh, we try to get a to-do list, to, in the, a to-do list, and get everything checked off, and then what? We'll feel better, I'm more productive, and, and I've accomplished something, and and, and and then that deals with some of those feelings of shame and condemnation and worthlessness, right? Or, I mean, that's one option, maybe we'll go and pick a cause, right? I often say, as we look at our 
you know, the, the cultural battles. And we see these Pharisees right here, these people who are like, I'm right and you're wrong. And you pick the cultural battle of the day. And I promise you this, the people over here and over here are exactly, they're all Pharisees. They are. Whatever issue you want to pick, that heart of I'm right and you're wrong, that's a human heart thing. The Pharisees, the Pharisees are not the result of religion. They're the result of humanity being what we are, right? So they're, what? They're dealing with their shame, aren't they? The Pharisees. So are the extremists in our, in our present culture. They're dealing with their shame because they're right, and as long as they're right and you're wrong, then they'll feel better about themselves. That's what they're doing to handle the feelings of shame and worthlessness that they have. That they have. Maybe they're imposing their viewpoint on other people or whatever. Then they're right and they feel better about themselves. Some of us, some of us, maybe we just escape the pain. We numb it. We, you know, drink too much or we, we game or, is this gaming? I don't, yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, we, we have a whole range of things. I was talking to somebody this week and I said to be human is to be an addict. Because we've got to find something to do that will make us feel better about that shame that comes over us. Because we mistakenly, for some reason, believe that Christ came to condemn us. But he didn't. That's not the point. And we focus on doing something. Matter of fact, Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, would later go on to say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There's none. We can stop feeling it. We can stop walking around with that shame. And so we've got this, God, not about condemning. He's about saving. We are about doing something, something that comes from us, something we can, can claim credit for that'll make us feel better about ourselves, or something we do to escape our reality of feeling this way, and then we have God's way. It's something different. God's way of saving creation, God's way of moving us out of this wretched fall situation and into a new life is a new birth. That's what it says. It's this phrase that granted is completely overused and frankly sometimes misused, right? Um, born again. You must be born again. Now, here's something interesting about it. And when I say misused, and this is what I mean, I've heard people say, I'm going to get born again or I've gotten born again or, you know, this kind of thing. Um, as if they're you hear this? Doing something. See that tension? We want to do something. Anybody in here pick? Anybody in here decide to go get born the first time? I don't think that's really our call. See, in fact, this word in Greek, the Greek word is genomai, that doesn't matter, but here's what does. The Greeks are very specific about what we in our grammar would call passive voice and active voice. Um, we kind of have a joke in our house, like we might say something like, uh, the dishwasher didn't get run last night, right? Which 
what that, what that means is, Jared, you didn't start the dishwasher last night, right? That's, that you hear the difference between active and passive. One happens to it, the other somebody does it, right? This Greek word, genomai, is passive. It's, it's, it's specifically, Jesus is saying something has to happen to you. It's not something that you do. Now that's interesting, because there's nothing we can do to get there. And so, I ask myself, well, how do we, how do we think about that then? How do we, if I want, right, I want this, this feeling of condemnation to stop. Obviously, God wants it to stop too, because he didn't send his son to condemn the world. There's plenty enough of that already. He sent his son to save the world. And in order to be a participant in that, we've got to be born again. So how, how does that happen? And I, I started thinking about this. And, and it reminded me of this phrase that I, I, I like. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but I, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, kids. If you don't know who, I, who Robert Downey Jr. is, he's Iron Man. And he, uh, years ago, he was in, in and out of rehabs and had, had some real major addiction issues. And, and, and then he kind of got healthy. And then what I saw was a video where he was talking and sort of helping another friend who had helped him, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson got himself into some trouble, and Robert Downey Jr. was talking about his experience. Well, Mel Gibson had told him when he was struggling, and when he just couldn't get out of addiction, and when he couldn't get healthy, um, he, Mel Gibson had told Robert Downey Jr. that you just, this was his phrase, you gotta hug the cactus. I love that phrase. This, this, this ugly, horrid, I mean, hug, hug a cactus, right? I mean, you know, many of us have been to Arizona. You know what a cactus looks like. Don't want to be hugging it. Some of us have sat on them. I mean, right? <laughs> we, we don't, we don't want to be hugging a cactus. What does that mean? And, and I think it's, what is it that you do? What is the shame that you feel, Right? We are all born into this world where we carry the shame, and we wound one another, we are wounded, we wound others. This is what it looks like to be human. Some of that, now you know the phrase they use a lot in, in Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff, is hurt people hurt people. And we just continue this cycle of pain, partly, mostly, because we're trying to escape our own cycles of pain. This is, this is what we do. And Robert Downey Jr., Mel Gibson's advice is hug the cactus. Embrace that reality. Feel the prickliness and the pain and the sorrow of what we are, whether that's, you know, we're, we're just, we're, we're hiding from it through whatever addiction, take your pick, or we are hurting other people, or we're trying to prove our worth and make our own pain go away through being this much of a good person. Look how good of a person he is. I am. I'm so wonderful. Well, that is just as broken, just as sinful as, you know what? 
I hurt, so I'm going to go use porn and drugs and whatever else, right? Like both, but neither one is, is saving you. Sure, one might destroy your life, but they both will destroy your soul. Accomplishment will not save you. Own that. That's part of the cactus. Whether you're a mess or whether you're happy to say you have it all together. Those are, that's a cactus that you might just need to hug. And when we hug that cactus and it hurts, we can say, this is what I am. I'm trying or I'm not trying or I'm broken or I've hurt these people or I've been hurt in these ways and this is the shame that I feel and this is the condemnation that I feel. And then instead of saying, I've got to do these 47 things to make my life better, you stop and you say, Jesus, help me. And that's what it looks like to be born again. Just like that. And, and, and let's, let's do away, please, with the notion that that's something that we do. That's one notion. <laughs> do away with that. Then, do away with this notion that it's something that you do once. And let's pick this notion up. All the shame that you feel, and let me tell you something, I don't care if you have been born again, there is shame in your life, there is a voice of condemnation, and there is, 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 is all this brokenness is still there. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You say the same thing. You say, Jesus, please save me. Heal me. Make me better. This whole thing, this whole thing, born again, eternal life, yeah, 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 it points in part to heaven. But whenever Jesus talks about eternal life, it's not something that starts when you die. It's something that you have access to right now. It's a new kind of life, a life of hope, a life of, that's not filled with brokenness. It, it will be touched by brokenness. So we won't escape that. It'll snow. And we'll all hate it. Things won't always be right. But we can have eternal life starting right now. And it's not condemnation, and it's not shame, because hear me say this again, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. So when you hear that voice, and you will, this week, probably tomorrow, you know, when you haven't shoveled before five, right, you'll be like, oh, I'm so worthless. And then you say, no, 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 Jesus saved me from those feelings, because that's why He came into the world, is to save the world. That's what's for us. Let me pray for us. God, Jesus, Father, Spirit, you are good, you're holy. Would you, would you save us? We are so easily distracted from this reality that, and, and believe that somehow, somehow, we can save ourselves or make ourselves feel better about all the mess that, that, that's in each of us and around each of us. Would you be at work, please, and, and just save us. <laughs> Give us eternal life starting now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.